Hey, how are you guys doing today? Top of the top. This is Fulu with another episode of the Fulu Effect. Today we're going to discuss about the life and times and the legacy of Nipsey Hussle. And I'll give you a bit of personal personal information regarding to me and his relationship. And first and foremost, I just want to say that I hope y'all are staying patient with this whole coronavirus thing. You know, at the present time, I still feel that we don't know what we're dealing with. You know what I mean? Because if we did know what we were dealing with, it would have been under control already. You feel me? So I still have a feeling that, you know, we're still dealing with very much an unknown entity. So... I want to say that you guys um, who listen to this, I I pray that you guys are safe. I pray that you guys are sound. And I pray that nobody in your family has, you know, came in contact with it and will not come in contact with it, you know. But anyhow, let's go ahead and get started. You know, unfortunately, a year ago from today, you know, God called back Nipsey Hussle. You know, he was he was called to return. And in that returning, you know, it just seems like all the love was then given to him once he was gone. You know, they, in essence... Many people didn't give him his roses while he was here. But that's kind of usually the case with a lot of people. Like even the artist John Basquiat. Nobody really recognized his genius until he was gone. You know what I mean? And so it's the same thing with guys like Picasso. You know, they love you when you're gone. Even if we look at Muhammad Ali, he was not really loved when he was here. In fact, he was despised by a lot of people, you know, believe it or not. But anyhow, when I met Nip, it was it was by coincidence, basically. I moved to L.A. a while ago, you know what I mean? And I was put into, based off of where my family friends stayed, I was put into that Slossing Crenshaw district. Now, it was crazy because I had a security guard friend. He was a friend of mine. And he knew I was African. And so we met each other and, you know, we started talking like that. And so we had a relationship based off of our, you know, we're from Africa, you know what I mean? And so little did I know that Fats, one of Nipsey's day one homeboys, was pushing his uh, mixtapes. I had no idea at the time that that was even Fats. You know what I mean? And so Fats knew the security guard. And so they were talking things like that, you know, talking about 
Nipsey Hussle, you know, how he's blown up and how he's made it through, you know, the environment we came up in. And it was crazy because this is when there was Lawson t-shirts and for this is before the Marathon Clothing Store, you know. There was Slauson Tees, and Slauson Tees was on, I want to say, it was on Crenshaw and Slauson, but it wasn't in that shopping center where the shelf station is. It was, it was on the other side of that. And so, you know, days go by, days go by. I finally hear Nipsey Hustle you know, his CDs and things like that. And I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. So we fast forward and I go into the marathon store and I meet his dad, Dalwit. And Dalwit, he was like, are you African? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And After that, you know, the relationship became pretty organic. It wasn't like me being a fan at that point. It was just me being a regular in the store. I mean, Dawg Wit would ask me to stop by sometimes just to chill or whatever. And then, you know, of course, I would buy things from the store. Um, I met Black Sam there, and he would always say thanks for the support, you know. Because I was always the one who truly believed in supporting your own. If one of your own has something that can be supported, then I was always for that. You know what I mean? Be it clothing, be it high quality music, be it food, whatever it may be. You know, if you're from any parts of the African diaspora, like, I want to support you, you know, be it um, the Caribbean, you know, continental Africa, or be it someplace like that. You know what I mean? So, you know, we fast forward. I'm listening to all the Nipsey Hustle music. I'm talking about Bullets Ain't Got No Name. I'm talking about um, Crenshaw. I'm talking about Mailbox Money. I'm talking about TNC. I'm talking about the unreleased leaks of him. And I, I, I'm listening to the wordplay and I'm listening to the message that he's giving in these verses. And I say, wow, like that this is what a lot of the homies need to apply in their life, you know, for the simple fact it he kind of drew roadmaps in these songs in order for upward mobility to take place, you know. Not saying that it was going to be easy or the mission, because he even said in one of the songs, the mission is hard, you know what I mean? And what I have to say is that, um, I started listening to his music a lot, you know, heavy, like it became an everyday thing, you know, and I went into the store 
it was there. And we finally met. And he was like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, how's, how's it going? And he's like, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good, bro. Thanks. And we just chopped it up from that. And we kept on chopping it up. Um, I just told him, you know, the, the game you're dropping in these verses is like very heavy. You know what I mean? And, you know, I told him the growth, we see the growth in the music, you know, because when you look at Nipsey in the Bullets Ain't Got No Name and you look at him in the Slauson Boy Volume 1, the growth was always constant, you know, even when it came to, you know, Crenshaw, Mailbox Money and all of that, he was always on an upward trajectory with the with the craft of music. And I think that was because he was on an upward trajectory on all his other projects too. Being his, you know, business acumen and things. And no, Nick wasn't a one-man army, but, you know, he had a team. And, you know, when it comes to work ethic, Black Sam, defied, he, he's the... He's the epitome when, when it comes to like hustling, you know, Black Sam, he was always, always about some money, you know, Black Sam, you know, even with my interactions with him, he was always doing something. He was always running around, making sure everything is cool in the store, making sure everything is all good. You know, he was always doing that, you know, that's, that was Black Sam, basically. And that still is him to this day. But the thing is about Nip is he was looking for solutions, you know, always looking for solutions to certain issues. For example, he didn't just release that song F Donald Trump with YG. He took it upon himself and I was there with this to do a a register to vote campaign. And he was just trying to get people to vote. So, you know, there is a chance that there wouldn't be a Donald Trump in office, you know, and he was and this is a form of his how his mind work, you know, mobilizing people in um the inner city so they could vote because i mean let's be honest like the voting booths and the uh and i want to say the the post office and whatnot i don't think they're really gonna do any justice so the fact that he took it upon himself to do the research on how to register people to vote and things like that and do a whole thing in the in the hood just shows you where his mind was you know the thing is is this about nip um i knew him as erm you know what i mean based off of his first name ermius i used to call him erm um He was always intelligent. 
since the beginning. At the beginning, he was always smart. Okay. Super intelligent individual. In Markham, which is the middle school, he was very smart. In Hamilton, which is high school, he was very smart. When he transitioned to gang culture, he was still very smart. When he was in gang culture, he was not the type to use gang banging as a means of terrifying people or wreck or like um, wrecking havoc indiscriminately. He was still quiet. He was still, you know, reading. He always was a reader from the beginning. He was always thinking about the bigger goal in mind. He always had the bigger goal in the back of his head. Right? And even when it did come down to like, for example, without saying too much, when it came down to urban warfare against rival hoods or whatever the case may be, he, he, of course he was about that. You know what I mean? He did that, right? But he wouldn't look for it. It usually was a retaliatory, him retaliating on something that was done, you know? And the thing is, is he, he somehow, I'll just say this is God, this is divine work. But he somehow just really beat the odds. Because when I say he had so many setbacks, he had a lot of setbacks. I mean, studios getting raided by cops, his store getting raided by cops. Just numerous run-ins with cops when he was trying to do something positive. But yet he still pushed through. You know, he still kept the course. I mean, he... I mean, when I say he went through hell and hot water to do what it is that he did, he did, man. He really did. But the thing is about him is he I guess you can say that he just believed in what he was doing so much that nothing was going to stop him. You know, 
And I want to sidetrack a little bit. You know, Nip is Eritrean by fathers. And if you research the, the country of Eritrea, his life is kind of parallel to that country because of the simple fact that Eritrea is a country that Eritrea is a country that believes in self-sufficiency. It believes in doing for self. It doesn't believe in taking handouts. It believes in developing by its own people power. And through Nip's marathon, that's what he was, that's, that kind of signifies what Nip was doing throughout his whole career. Because there were many instances where he could have, you know, took a deal. Meaning he could have took a deal and been an artist, you know. He could have did that. There were many times where that could have been done for him. But instead of taking a deal, he really just stood on his own too. And and became an owner. You know. which was the best thing he did and which was showing artists the uh, showing other artists the way on how to do this you know it was very very telling him doing this you know on what he stood for and the one thing about it is he didn't really shy away from his Eritrean heritage, you know. And, you know, I was already kind of, when I first got to L.A., I, I knew there was a lot of Eritreans there where I was uh, there younger. And I just started researching about the struggles, you know, that they endured you know, a 30-year civil war going against the odds, you know, where the chances of success would look like slim to none, but somehow they they did it, you know. And that's kind of parallel to Nip's life, you know, because where we come from, in that section of L.A., it's a very cannibalistic session. It's a very... It's... How should I say it? It's changing right now, but when we were there, before it wasn't like what it was becoming. You know? I mean... It was real life situations over there. I'm not going to go into my own real life situations over there, but there were plenty. I can tell you that, you know. 
And when I say real life situations, I mean like life and death situations. But to continue, I will say that, you know, he didn't hit his peak as an artist when he was taken from us, you know. He was just, as a matter of fact, he was just getting started, you know. Victory Lap was the start of something that was to come, something that was going to be so a, a how should I say a a sound that I don't know if a lot of people would be ready for. I actually have nine unreleased uh, tracks that you know, his neighbor gave me. And from hearing those tracks, I can say that he was onto something, you know. Just the other day, Big Sean played uh, another record with him and Nips Nipsey on it. And I just hope that record comes out. You know, I hope we get that record. Because it's a... Uh, it's a good record, you know. Both of them showed cadence on the record. Um, Nip also looked at, he, he kind of focused on the right now, although the past did shape certain things. He was really focused on the right now, and that's really how I look at his relationship with Rick Ross. You know, Rick Rose, at one time, he was going to sign Nip to uh, MMG, but the deal never happened. And they still maintained a very solid friendship. No, even though the deal didn't happen. And with that, with that being said, I mean, some people would have shied away from, you know, signing or, or even association, associate associating themselves with Rick Ross for the simple fact that, you know, there was still smut on his name about the whole correctional officer. But Nip looked past it and saw him putting people in position and, you know, really just helping people, helping artists who maybe wouldn't have been, you know, helped before. I mean, even, for example, Wale, that's how him and Nip got on the track on Wale's uh, mixtape, is through the meeting with uh, Rick Ross. You know, they got introduced to each other. And Nip 
did have a willingness. That's one thing about him. He really had a willingness to work with anybody. You know, he wasn't the type to try to reach out and work with you unless you were home team. Like, for example, Dom Kennedy, he would be like, yo, Dom, I need you on this track because they already had a cadence with one another already. But when it came to other people, like who were outside um, of California, he was never that type to kind of like just be like, hey, can I get a verse from you or anything like that? He he let it happen organically, you know. And I think that's why when he's featured on songs, it does seem so natural, the feature of the song. You know, but I can go on and on about, you know, Nip, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't do him justice by continuing on, you know, about him. I'll just be rambling pretty much, but because the, he impacted so many people, you know, um, I mean, I can't even list the ways he impacted me. I would be listing ways. I, I would be here until tomorrow if I listed the ways that he impacted me. But I will say one more thing and then I'll sign out. Unfortunately, the gang that Nip was part of, Rolling Sixties, from being from being in that myself, you know, from basically being from the same, it's very sloggy, um, and that's not just with Rolling Sixties; it's with every gang. You may have someone who may be in your gang who you dislike, but because you're from the same gang, you guys, um, you know, learn how to coexist for as long as, you know, the time um, permits. But Many of the times, though, it doesn't really last that long. No matter how much good you're doing, no matter how much you're trying to change the status quo or things, sometimes it still doesn't It's still not going to make everybody happy. There's still going to be people who don't want things to change. There's still going to be people who get a thrill out of doing things that are self-destructive. And the energy of gang banging can be put it can it can be put towards good things. You know, it doesn't have to be put towards self-destruction. That's what Nip was trying to achieve. But 
you know, all I'm gonna say is that certain people didn't want to see it. That's what I will say. And because they didn't want to see it, he had to meet his demise. And yeah, I'm not saying this in a way of contempt. I'm not saying this in a way of that he that I'm happy about it. Of course, I'm not happy about it, but we never know when we're going to go at the end of the day. We don't know when our time is prescribed. Even with this whole Corona thing, we don't know. Okay. All we can do is try to prepare ourselves. All we can try to do is do as much as as much good as possible towards ourselves and towards other people. And just hope that we can go proud and we can go knowing that we left a positive impact and a mark, you know, when it is our time to go. And I will say that Nip did just that. I'll say that 110%. And the marathon still will continue. And I ask for the most abundant prayers upon his family and those who have something to do with shaping the whole marathon. And with that being said, this is Fula. I'm going to sign out. And if I said anything wrong, please forgive me. And if I said something right, know that it came from God and it didn't come from me. And until the next time, Jarama.